is whatever we want it to be. But does that make sense? Do we really have the authority to manipulate foundational truths to satisfy our own desires? What about an ultimate truth that transcends time and generations? Jesus spoke truth to anyone who would listen in a way they would understand. He shared simple, relatable stories to explain a vast heavenly plan. To the lost, to the hurting, to the confused. If you are seeking the truth, it's real and it can be yours. I tell you the truth. If you love the truth, let me hear your hands this morning. I do want to take just a moment to say thank you to those that represented us in the Southeast Polk Parade with the train. I know that was a lot of work to get down there and get that all figured out. So thank you so much for your investment of time and energy and throwing candy at kids. I mean, throwing candy to kids. Appreciate your involvement, and uh, I've taken some personal pleasure in watching neighborhood kids begin to um, come over and use the new playground and watch them play. Um, we wanted to serve the neighborhood, and that's happening. It is true. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> and uh, also want to say uh, welcome to a good friend, Pastor Tom and Joy, that pastored Adventure Life and are now doing interim ministry. Would you stand so they can see you and just give them a welcome this morning? It's great to meet your better half. And uh, Pastor Tom, I respect highly a man of integrity and of faith who's not afraid to take a stand for truth. And I admire that about you and appreciate you as a friend. Well, this morning we're in between series. It's not quite Advent and uh, we just finished our last series and we uh, were at Trinity Bible College on board meetings, and on one of the sessions, God really spoke something to my heart that, that when it gets stuck in there, the only way for me to get it out is to preach it to you. So I either have to deal with it for a long time or just preach it to you, and then you can correct it and we'll move on. Title of the message this morning is When the Devil Tells the Truth. We call him a liar, and he certainly is, but there are times that the devil tells the truth. In fact, I think his most dangerous work is done when he tells the truth. He tells the truth in ways that are intended to deceive, and if we're not discerning enough, we can be wrapped up in that, in that deception. In Genesis chapter 3, we're all familiar with the fall of man, and by the way, we'll be dealing with that on Wednesday night on our series of Fundamental Truths. And I want to answer some questions. What happens to babies when they die? What happens to people who've never heard? And uh, is it fair that, we, that we're born of the fallen nature and still judged for it? So come join me for that discussion on Wednesday. We'll uh, spend some time looking that over. But chapter 3 is where it takes place. And we make a lot about, as we should, the exchange between the woman and the serpent. And I want you to notice what happens here. Did God really say, the serpent said to the woman, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. He says, you will not certainly die. Now we know from reading the rest of the story that at that moment, when they partook of the fruit, that they did not experience physical death ceasing to exist on the earth. So depending on how you define the terms, we know that death came into the world, they would die ultimately, that there was a separation from God because of that. But in a limited sense, the devil was telling the truth. We also make a big deal how she overemphasizes what God said. There's no record that he said you couldn't touch it. But the devil doesn't even respond to that because when he can see in you that you don't have a firm grasp of the truth, he doesn't have to push you any further. There's already a fertile field for deception when you're not believing the truth or believing things that aren't true. How many are hearing what I'm saying? 
So he doesn't even deal with that. He just goes on to talk about the fruit because that's where they're headed. Now, granted, we understand what spiritual death means and what happens, but how many of you know that they didn't drop dead? In that sense, he told the truth. Depending on how you define terms, truth isn't always the truth. And we're living in a culture where we've got to be able, church, to define and discern what is the truth. It's essential to us. When you believe a lie, you are in profound jeopardy. The Bible warns us of that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 9. Listen to these words. When Scripture talks about the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. Let me just ask you, how many heard what I just said? What will accompany the coming of the lawless one? Counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That there is a disaster that happens spiritually when we don't love the truth. And we're living in an an age where not only do we not love the truth, we don't even know what the truth is anymore. And not just in the secular world, but often in the faith world, that we begin to believe things and endorse things that we can't back up with a biblical foundation. Everything about Christianity is built around truth. We are to be people of truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God is the truth of God. And it is the truth of God that holds our armor on. Our belt is truth. And when you erode that, when you tear that down, disastrous things happen to the body of Christ. We just finished a series where we talked about the revival that God wants to send and the apostasy that's going to happen. And the difference between the two is how we handle the truth. And we can't expect the world to recognize the truth if we don't handle the truth rightly. We have to be able to deal with the truth in a healthy way, in a truthful way. Our world is calling untruths as though they are truths, and we can be swept up by it all. And I want you to consider with me for a few moments what happens when we believe a truth isn't the truth. What happens when the devil tells the truth in order to get us to believe a lie? And the first concept that I'd suggest to you, when we don't have a love for the truth, when we believe things that aren't true, the creature becomes elevated above the creator. We elevate God's creation above the one who created it all. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says this to us who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, we're going to go on a little bumpy ride this morning, but I really felt it pressed in my heart that it's time for the church to recognize it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what is true. It doesn't matter what you feel, it matters what is true. And on those same lines, it doesn't really matter what you believe unless what you believe is the truth. So we have to focus on truth and bring our experiences, our understanding of Scripture, everything that we are in alignment with what God has revealed as the truth. For truth is not found in the assertion of factual information. Jesus didn't say, you'll find the truth when you meet me. He said, I am the way I I am the truth, I am the life, and I'm absolutely convinced that devoid of Jesus Christ, truth will never be fully embraced. The Bible says that they changed the truth into a lie. I pondered that for a bit, thought about that. What does it mean to change the truth into a lie? Another way to translate that Greek word is to exchange it. What's happened, I believe, in the, happening in the church world and the world around us is we're changing truth into a lie by exchanging a false truth for a genuine truth. We've replaced them. And so what was once true is no longer true. What was once a lie now becomes the truth. And when you do that, you've elevated. I hope you can see that. You've elevated the creation above the creator when you take what God says is true and replace it with your truth. 
When you replace it with your truth, you've you've elevated the created thing above the one who is the creator. We exchange definitions of truth, and truth is being replaced with untruth all around us. So what happens then is the created becomes the focus of worship. Man becomes a higher authority than God. Definitions of right and wrong and of the image of God are all dramatically and irreparably changed. And believers begin in that environment and what we do, believers begin to replace their opinions for what the word of God says. How many of you have heard me say, (laughs) smile right now because this might be the last time this morning. I don't care what you think. I care about what is true. So your opinions don't carry any weight with me any more than my opinion should carry weight with you. What should matter is what is true. I had a conversation uh, Friday night, I believe it was, and it was a, a friend and it was a healthy conversation but walked up to me and said, are you, are you preaching on prophecy? <laughs> that is a seedbed for deception. Because what we do in the prophetic world is we evaluate our circumstances and we try to make them fit in our paradigm of prophecy rather than understanding what the Bible says. And I said, what I endeavor to do is give people a framework of eschatology so that the experiences around them can be hung on that because the Bible doesn't say you will know when it comes. The Bible tells us about the end times that we should do what? Watch and be ready so that we'll recognize the things that come on the earth. We need a biblical framework. We don't need more people telling us um, what it will all look like. I mean, how of you remember when the barcode was the mark of the beast we could go on and on with that one preacher said I used to pick the antichrist but I had to quit because every time I picked one they died so we need a framework of truth to hang current events on but instead what our world is doing even in the church is we've created a paradigm of current events that we try to hang scripture on Do you see the difference? Those are not the same. And the second model will lead us into destruction and into deception. Believers replace their opinions for what the word says. My truth then replaces divine truth. My desires, even among believers, become the arbiter of truth. And if truth is defined by subjectivity, there is no truth at all. I've talked to people all of my life about the word of God says about our lifestyle. How many of you know the word of God talks about our lifestyle? (laughs) Believe me, I know where the back doors are if this gets any tenser. And honestly, over and over again, someone will say to me, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't know what I've had to face. And I'm saying to you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. You're not the arbiter of the truth. And you can't change the truth of the word of God because you hit a rough spot. But what we do is we reformulate the truth based on our experience that God can't mean that because that would be hard for us. And then we embrace every form of ungodliness because it's more convenient than to believe what the truth of the word of God says. I'm calling us back to truth that our choices, our lifestyle, our faith would be anchored to the truth of the word of God It happens in the secular world frequently, but when it happens in the church, it is profoundly devastating. The Bible warns us (laughs) that deception will grow in the church, how? Through the voice of the prophets. I need you to hear me this morning. The Bible warns us that deception will grow in the church by those who claim prophetic gifting but will mislead us. 
Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 24, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. For false Christs and false prophets shall appear and perform great signs and miracles, deceive even the elect if it were possible. Did that happen in Bible times, absolutely. Do you remember Acts chapter 16 when the woman with the spirit of divination, the young damsel, is following Paul around and the devil tells the truth. The devil says, these men are servants of the most high God which show unto us the way of salvation. And she did that for many days until Paul turns and casts the devil out of her because the devil's most dangerous work is when he tells the truth. And if he can get you to believe the tease of truth he can then lead you into something that isn't true and we don't need the devil complimenting the ministries we're engaged in i've heard people say you've heard me say it i'm going to repeat it again i feel it really really important in my heart charismatics are notorious for justifying our experience over our scripture We're notorious for that. And so what happens is, you'll hear this. You can't put God in a box. And if anyone says to you, you can't put God in a box, buckle your seatbelt and listen carefully for what's going to be said next because it is most likely going to be something that will mislead you. Yes, you can't put God in a box. And not once in my Christian journey has God ever called me in the morning and asked me what he should do today. (laughs) There are no seats open on the Trinity. Those are filled. No applications are being taken. So when someone is supposedly manifesting the gift of prophecy and they stop and say, what was that? No, I don't think we ought to do that today, God. That person should be written off and never listened to again. But instead, we get his books and his tapes and his, oh, tapes. The MP4s. And listen. So there's a, let me illustrate it in a little more tangible way. Our spiritual survival depends on recognizing truth-based lies. And so I'm gonna call out a couple names this morning because I hear it circulating in our groups and I just want to illustrate. Is that okay with you? Seeing no objection, I'll continue to move forward. (laughs) If you've heard the name Julie Green, Julie Green gives out regular testimonies of or, or prophetic reports of what God is saying. And here's one in particular. The word of the Lord would say, obey without question, and she's talking about the prophets, obey without question and you'll live like the Israelites did. Put your guards down that you've been holding up to not believe my prophets. Stop it right now. That is not the voice of God. Do you know what the voice of God is? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let the prophets speak and let the others judge. Do you know what else we're told? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I believe in instant obedience to God, but I believe in judging the voice of the prophetic. Because sometimes the prophetic is just pathetic. Sorry. Listen to the online response. To me, Julie Green is proven. I've been watching her for a while. She often has, listen, are you listening? How many are listening right now? She often has prophecies that are insignificant, even silly. So God speaks insignificantly and in silly ways through the prophets. But she's explained that these things, uh, that these are things God gives us to build up trust. Silly Things are used by God to build our trust. Recent examples include Kalamazoo will be in your news for an unusual reason. A goat will be in your news for an unusual reason. I was initially resistant to her 
because her appearance and presentation remind me of a ditzy cheerleader and student body leaders from high school. But as with those examples, age teaches us to look beyond the surface appearance. Yes, it does, but it teaches us to measure it not by whether or not the prophecy comes true, but in what fashion that it aligns with the word of God. I, I don't normally call out names in 12 years. You've not heard me do this, but I feel like a coming apostasy will continue to move the church to exvangelicalism and deconstruction if we don't reconnect to the foundational truths that we build our faith upon. Another one is Kat Kerr. Many of you have heard of her. Listen to what Kat Kerr says. They actually do have a body parts warehouse in heaven. I'm not making this up. And this isn't the Babylon Bee. Several people have been there and have seen it. It's an amazing building, and they actually have a protocol on how they operate. What happens is, <laughs> sorry. What happens is when someone prays in faith and asks for a body part to be sent, they say, I ask for requisition to be given to the body parts warehouse that my friend needs a new heart or they need new eyes or whatever the requisition is. When that prayer is released, it's sent to this body parts warehouse and they will call for an angel to come from the back of the warehouse and they will hand in this requisition, which is the request. Then they take it to the other place. I haven't been to the other place, but I know that it's getting approved. It has to be stamped, approved for this time or else they would stamp it for another time. Are you kidding me? There are Christians in charismatic circles all over the United States that are lapping out of Cat Kerr's dish of deception. Here's what else I found. I didn't know this either. God has a rainbow-colored pet unicorn. Cat has met Jesus in person, and she says he was totally hot. She claims that once you reach heaven, Jesus personally throws you a dance party in his mansion and serves you the delicious desserts he's baked himself. I think that's a result of methamphetamines. No, I'm just, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that to be true. Father has a unicorn Jesus has a horse named Lightning. I had a horse named Lightning. Does that make me Jesus? The Holy Spirit has one named Thunder. Lightning has fire coming out of his nostrils. He's got a rainbow mane on him. But the Father has a unicorn, and they're mentioned nine times in the Bible. They are, unless you found a new translation that has removed it. Now, why am I taking time to do this? Because there will be, I believe, a falling away that will be eroded not by lifestyle choices, but by a dereliction of commitment to the truth. And when we begin to believe crazy stories, anything else can happen. And here's what happens in our circles. Someone will say, but I did what they said and this happened. Doesn't matter to me. What matters to me, come on church, is what does the word of God say? If God rides a unicorn around that's rainbow colored, good, I, I'm not gonna argue when I get to heaven and see it, but until we get there, since scripture doesn't tell us that, we need to steer away from that and not engage in frivolous conversation and speculation about things that tickle itching ears and give someone a position of prominence to raise money for their lifestyle. 
We need to stand for the truth. And the faction of Christianity that stands for the truth is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus warned us of that, of the deception that will hit the church because of false prophets. And I believe it's time to say something about it. The creature becomes elevated above the creator. And we need to be really, really careful about that. One of the things that also circulates as a side comment is angels answer to God, not to you. Because we've been created, according to Psalm 8, a little lower than the angels. See, Scripture answers our questions. So then what happens? Not only do we have this um, adjusting where the creature is elevated above the creator, the second impact of believing a lie is that the forbidden becomes beautiful. That which should be rejected as repulsive becomes attractive to us because we're not believing the truth. Genesis chapter three, verse six says, when the woman saw that fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The woman saw that the fruit in her mind was beautiful. The serpent skipped over Eve's comment, you must not touch it because the foundation for deception was already laid. He had said to her, God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And there is an element of truth in that. And that's what she wanted. He didn't have to say anything more because when you see what you want and put your affections on what you delight after, you'll rewrite the rules to get there. She saw that it looked nice, that it was good for food. You can't tell by looking that anything's good for food. The seeds of deception were in fertile soil. She wanted to see it because she wanted what the snake said would happen. How many are hearing me right now? So I, this is my um, imaginings. So you don't have to believe this is true. You have to believe that she saw it and thought it was pretty. But I've watched how that happens. You know how that happens? That's the tree right there, okay? This is the tree. And there's fruit on it. And people don't just walk up and say, oh, wow, that's a cool piece of fruit. I think I'll take a bite. They begin to circle around that which was forbidden. They begin to look at it from a distance. I wonder what's so wrong with that. It doesn't look bad to me. And each time they circle and nothing bad happens, the circle gets a little smaller and they keep moving in because they watch it and look at it and evaluate it until it becomes beautiful in their eyes rather than branding it the way God defined it as something to stay away from. The detestable becomes delightful. The forbidden becomes beautiful. So I'd suggest to you to be careful what you give attention to. Let me give you an example of that in Paul's writings about bishops and deacons. There's a unique Greek word in there that the King James translates this way about alcohol, that a bishop and a deacon should not be given to wine. That word is talking more, more than about consumption. It's talking about people who regularly and every day focus on alcohol. Because the more you love it, the more you'll consume it until you're living the life of a drunkard if you're not really, really careful. How many are hearing me right now? We don't look at the consequences. One of the best things that ever happened to me, and I, I know we, we, I grew up where we made things sin that weren't sin. You know, I mean, could go into all kinds of stories about that. But um, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do was the mantra I grew up with. And I don't know, I don't know if you can build, I mean, you can build a case about smoking 
harming the body, but I will tell you the rate of damage or the risk of damage dramatically escalates on your body when you smoke cigarettes. Right? It just does. And so I'm not condemning anyone. I understand that nicotine addiction is one of the strongest addictions there is on the planet. I get that. I'm not after you. I just want you to hear this story that what you give your mind to. So I was at a football game with my dad and my dad smoked a pipe. And I'm telling you what, there's something about the smell of a good cherry blend tobacco that takes me back to a football game sitting by my dad. And all the preaching in the world wouldn't take that away. But I'll tell you what what pushed me clear away was looking at the consequences. When I was in fifth grade, they brought a man in who had throat cancer. They had to remove his larynx. He had a hole in his throat. And he had one of those instruments then that covers it with a reed that goes into the back of his mouth, and he talked like this, and we listened to him for about 45 minutes. I was never tempted to go down that road because they put the consequence right in my face. Now listen to me carefully. If I keep looking at my father's cherry blend tobacco in a pipe, I would be tempted because it looked good to the eye. I mean, what's cooler than a Sherlock Holmes hat and a pipe. <laughs> I mean, there's some people who come to my office. I would love to be sitting behind my desk <laughs> puffing a pipe. This makes you look like you're a genius, you know. <laughs> if, I <laughs> if I see that it's good to the eyes, it has some benefit. It gives me an inroad into culture. Pretty soon, I'll engage. But if I remember the man with the hole in his throat, I need to keep what was forbidden to me as forbidden and not to be favored. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just telling you. The difference is the framework that you put around a subject will determine how you respond to it. And when you believe a lie over the truth, you will put what you want that's been forbidden into a favorable light and you'll defend it. Well, but you don't know, I needed to do this to get this and I needed this to happen. And we justify our sin on the basis of the benefit. When it should be measured on the basis of the Bible. Hello? One of my great frustrations, Pastor Tom, I don't know, I'm sure you've run into this as well. One of my great frustrations are people that build their whole argument on what they're experiencing and completely ignore what the Word of God says. You can't even have that conversation because it made my life better, therefore it must be of God. No. We make the forbidden beautiful. Be careful what you give your attention to. Be careful where you set your affections and where you set your mind. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Don't defend what isn't true. Can I keep going? What tends to happen we tend to stand against things until our grandchildren start to do them. And I don't care what's happening in your world or what this world says. The church cannot afford to embrace a model of the human experience that denies two genders. There aren't a multiplicity of genders. God created them male and female. And you might be experiencing gender dysphoria. You might have some mental illness. You might have something else. But I don't care if you think you're a caterpillar. You're not. Come on. 
But what happens is it ends up happening to someone we know and care about and then we change our definition of truth and what was once repulsive now becomes beautiful. I know I'm narrow-minded. I've been told I can look through a keyhole with both eyes at one time. But I'm also telling you that truth matters. Are you hearing me? Next week, I'll try to preach something that's ice cream and cake. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Don't defend what isn't true. Well, it's such a beautiful world that we live in. People are being liberated to experience their own truth. No, they're being damned to hell by a lie. And we have to hold our ground. People have said, what are you going to do when they make preaching against sexual sin, hate speech. You'll see me in prison because I'm not going to sacrifice truth in order to live in comfort. You say, well, you won't be able to reach people. You're not going to reach people to lie. Come on, someone help me this morning. I'm telling you that we have to be people of truth because if you convert them to a gospel that isn't truth-based, you've converted them to a lie and those who don't believe the truth will be given over to a reprobate mind. Beauties in the eye of the beholder and teaching that tickles our ears becomes attractive. The forbidden becomes beautiful. The last thing, our spiritual covering is forfeited. When you believe in untruth, you elevate the creature over the or the creature above the creator. The forbidden becomes beautiful, and our spiritual covering is forfeited. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sold fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now there has been a great deal of speculation over what happened in that moment. Why did they not know? Why do they know now? What happened to them? Well, some would conjecture, and I'll show you a little bit of, of how we... And I think it could be true. The Bible tells us in Psalm 104, verse 2... That God wraps himself in light as with a garment. In other words, God is clothed with light. And there's a teaching that I don't necessarily object with. I just don't think you can prove it. I think it becomes an opinion. That Adam and Eve in the garden were clothed in light and didn't see their nakedness because of the glory of God that was on them. Could that be? I could be. I'm not going to debate you on that. But I'll tell you what the Bible tells us, the covering that they lost. The covering they lost wasn't a light or clothes. It was innocence. When they sinned, they lost the covering of their innocence. And now, when you lose your innocence, the whole world looks different. And you recognize that you're fallen. I mean, think about what happens to a child who is molested. They lose their innocence and their covering is forfeited and their whole world changes. When you steal the innocence from someone, they're broken, they're fallen. They have damage that has to be dealt with. Their innocence was lost. Their fellowship with God was severed. Um, Much was sacrificed because they didn't discern truth for error. It's a terrible thing when that covering is forfeited what is our covering our covering is the blood of jesus christ our sins are covered by the blood of christ not by our behavior we are covered by his provision not by our performance but you can't continue to walk with him and chase after the darkness you can't continue to walk with him and consume sin and evil that innocence that covering that blessing can be removed can be forfeited by choosing to believe a lie that removal doesn't depend on which lie you believe, Satan works forcefully in this area to continue to do the damage to the image of God that he did in the Garden of Eden. So the Bible tells us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us 
from all unrighteousness. Do you know what I know about a child of God? Is that you will make mistakes. I grew up with one bad thought, you go straight to hell. How many know what I'm talking about? But I believe in his grace and his covering and his long suffering and that he will continue to cleanse. He'll continue to work on me. But don't ever lose the sensitivity to that voice that calls you back from the edge or calls you back from ungodliness. Because as you walk in the light, the mark of walking in the light is you'll be walking in a path of cleansing. You walk in a path of cleansing and Satan wants to steal your covering. So when you believe a lie, you give an open door to demonic attack to you, to your marriage, and to your family, and ultimately to the church. So what's my call this morning? I'd like everyone who believes a lie to come forward and repent. I'm kidding. I want us to re-grab this understanding. Come on, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what has worked. What matters is what is true. Let me give you one last example. You've read in the book of Acts of the seven sons of one Sceva who called out, we adjure you by the God that Paul preaches, come out and the man in whom the evil spirits was turned and rent them. Well, when you do a little historical study, here's what you'll find out. Is everybody with, I, I want you to get a hold of this. What did the sons of Sceva do? There were a number of ways that they supposedly cast out devils. One of the ways was they would wear what was called a Solomon ring. It was like a locket ring. They would open the locket and put herbs inside the locket. Then they would place a vessel of water off to the side. They would walk up to someone who was determined to be demon-possessed, and they'd put the ring under their nose and say, we adjure you by the God of heaven to come out of him, and they'd pull the ring away, saying that the spirit was coming out, and then command the spirit, if you are no longer present, knock that jar of water over. And it happened, because the devil will play along to deceive you. Hear me, the fact that it worked, the fact that you confessed it and it happened, the fact that you prayed it and happened isn't the test of authenticity. You gotta hear me this morning because people are believing things because it worked. The measure isn't, did it work? Because the devil does lying signs and wonders. The test is, what does the word of God say? And there is a dearth of biblical literacy in our world because <laughs> I am trying to keep playing. I'm trying to close. I had a discussion with the president of the graduate school at Trinity Bible College last week. She talked about the places she had been and watching people worshiping false gods. And I just, I just want to take you to a mosque for a moment. Two or three years ago, I was invited to join a friend who's a Muslim at a mosque in the area for the breaking of the fast during Ramadan. They treated me with honor. And I'm gonna tell you the truth, it's out in the middle of a cornfield. And all of my fears welled up on the inside of me. A jihadist, is gonna meet me there with a sword and slice my head off and bury me in the cornfield and I'll never be able to hug my grandchildren again. No, it really did. I'm not, it's like, what am I doing? I'm alone, they'll never find my body. Pulled in and my friend met me and, I, and as I drove in, I said, devil, you're a liar. I'm not gonna let you impose this on me. I'm gonna take false imaginations captive, come on went in and had a wonderful night. And someone said to me afterwards, it was really, really interesting, but here's what I went away with. Did you sense demon powers? I really didn't. I sensed 
a deep hopelessness. And here's where my concern came. There was nothing in that Muslim service that was designed to entertain the followers. Prayers, discipline, bowing, nothing to entertain. And I thought, God, what are we doing? I drove away saying, God, what are we doing? Because I'm afraid we've built an American model that's more based around entertaining the people who come than discipling the people who come. If the temperature's not right, if the chair's not right, if the music's not right, if the preaching's not right, if it's too short, I've never been accused of that, then, then we go off. And what has happened in our desire for significance and success, we've replaced quantity for quality. And we're all about the numbers we entertain rather than disciple. And I read a quote from a pastor from about 20 years ago and said, the church today is guilty of entertaining the goats rather than feeding the sheep. We've got to come back. This has got to be about discipleship. It's got to be about the truth. It can't be about entertaining. Now. Do we build around entertainment? No, because I absolutely believe in experiential worship. I absolutely believe that you ought to feel the presence of God. And I believe where God is present, people will be drawn. And I believe in the way we do church. But when it's built around entertainment, we will sacrifice discipleship. We've got to focus on the truth. And if you can show me in scripture where I'm wrong, I will listen to you. But I won't listen to you if you quote from Kat Kerr or Julie Green or a plethora of prophets that are out there spouting nonsense. So please hear me in your heart of hearts. What's my appeal? We're called Berean for a reason. Why did they choose the name Berean? Because Acts 17.11 says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the word readily. They received the word readily and searched the scripture daily whether those things were so. I'm calling us back to that. Let that be our guide. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we worship for just a couple of minutes. And if you dare... Ask God to give you a passionate hunger for the truth of his word, that we would be people of truth. I was a wretch. I remembered who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Separated, the breach was far too wide. From the far side of the chasm, you had me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne. cross you paid the debt I owed amen broke my chains freed my soul for the first time I had hope you sing thank for the blood of thank you Jesus you have watched in me while saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious life. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days. 
more by the blood of the Lamb. Sing a church thing. Thank you, Jesus. it's my prayer and I hope our desire that you would continue to call us to truth that we wouldn't be blinded by an experiential faith that produces the results that we desire but an experiential faith that is anchored firmly to the truths of your word make us people of truth to stand for the truth and put a passion and hunger in us for that I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God to serve. Again, thank you so much for your faithful giving, your support of what God's doing in this place. I believe God's going to give us and is giving us some opportunities for outreach this fall to touch people for the kingdom. So thank you for your giving, your support, your investment, your volunteering. We love you all so much and thank you for your consistent giving. Amen. God bless. Shake someone's hand. Tell them they're looking good today.